Up next, the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. After this message. Too many veterans' lives are lost to suicide and opiate overdose when conventional treatment fails to help them cope with the physical and emotional scars. Veterans shouldn't have to fight for their rights after sacrificing their lives to protect ours. Join us for the first Veterans' Rights Rally on Veterans' Day and support the rights of our veterans to choose alternative treatments for pain and PTSD. Starting at noon at Steel Indian Park, 3rd Street and Indian School, hear speakers, veteran resources, and a march to the VA. Visit thecannabisreporter.com for details. And now, broadcasting on Star Worldwide Networks, it's time for the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show with Snowden Bishop. Listen in as Snowden interviews cannabis industry pioneers, marijuana experts, policymakers, medical practitioners, patients, and other amazing individuals with compelling stories to share. It all happens right now. Here's the Cannabis Reporter, Snowden Bishop. Hi, and welcome back to the Cannabis Reporter Radio Show. I'm your host, Snowden Bishop, and delighted that you could be here with us today. Recent studies estimate that combined, suicide and opiate overdose will claim the lives of more than 120,000 Americans in 2017. And of those, veterans comprise a disproportionately large segment with some estimating up to 41 veterans die each day because of overdose and suicide, and 22 a day from suicide alone. That's a staggering number when considering these deaths really could be preventable. There's mounting evidence, anecdotal and scientific, to suggest that cannabis helps veterans cope with the debilitating physical and emotional scars that lead to addiction, overdose, and suicide. Over the last year, we've spoken with a number of doctors who have found cannabis to be a safe and effective alternative to opiates, antidepressants, and other drugs that are frequently prescribed to help veterans cope with pain, depression, anxiety, and other ailments that often accompany PTSD and other wounds of war. We've also spoken with a number of veterans who have found healing with cannabis therapy. Some go so far as to say that cannabis saved their lives. Unfortunately, the Veterans Administration strictly prohibits the use of cannabis, even in states where it's legal. Under current policy, veterans who could benefit from its therapeutic healing power would risk losing their medical benefits if caught with cannabis in their system. Learning about yet another veteran suicide at the Phoenix VA underscores the urgent need for policy reform to allow veterans the freedom to access the healing power of cannabis. During the last several years, a number of doctors, researchers, and advocacy groups have made concerted efforts to convince the VA to end its conventional treatment or no treatment policy. Even the most compelling testimony from veterans about ways in which cannabis saves lives has been met with resistance. The Phoenix VA is one of the most staunch opponents of cannabis and have gone out of their way to block research that would provide evidence that cannabis therapy is far safer and more effective than most commonly prescribed drugs that sometimes do more harm than good. Veterans shouldn't have to come home and fight for their rights after fighting to defend ours. After sacrificing so much to protect our freedom, it's simply unacceptable that they are denied the freedom to choose whatever medicine helps them without sacrificing the benefits they're entitled to. 
We felt compelled to do something and rallied a number of industry peers, advocacy groups, and volunteers to stage a rally in support of veterans' rights on Veterans Day right here in Phoenix. I'll go into details about that later, and I hope that you'll join us. But first, let's get right to the show. I'd like to introduce our guests who know a lot about this topic. So joining me in the studio today is Christopher Langiel. He's an Army combat veteran who served in Afghanistan before retiring for medical reasons. Since then, he earned a degree in counseling and founded Help Me PTSD, an advocacy that provides support for trauma survivors and creates innovative ways to fix the failing VA system and the overall mental health care crisis in America. Thank you for being here with me today. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Joining on the phone today is another veteran, Sean Kiernan. He was a member of the Army Airborne Infantry and... Today, he's founder of Weed for Warriors. It's another advocacy group that helps veterans access cannabis as a first-line defense to prevent suicide and combat opiate addiction. Thank you, Sean, for being here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> You're certainly welcome. And last but certainly not least, we have Dr. Jordan Tischler. He's an emergency physician who has treated countless alcoholics and drug users Having never seen cannabis overdose, he began to delve into the science of cannabis therapy, and he is now an advocate. He's a frequent speaker and author on the medical applications of cannabis, and also he's on the board of directors of Doctors for Cannabis Regulation, DFCR. He's also regional director for the Society of Cannabis Clinicians. Thank you, Dr. Tischler, for being here. Oh, it's my great pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I want to just get right to this today because there's a lot to cover here. And obviously you heard me mention the suicide that recently happened here in Phoenix. And it just, it, it's so heartbreaking to hear these things and to know that there are solutions. Sean, I'd like to start with you because you will be joining us for this rally that's coming up in Phoenix on Veterans Day but tell me a little bit about why you decided to found Weed for Warriors and how you see this as helping fellow veterans cope with some of the problems of suicide and opiate addiction. So first, I started working with Dr. Sue Sisley in 2013 uh, before anyone knew who she was. Uh, that was based on not only my own suicide attempt that I survived in 2011, based on the stories you hear, which is uh, PTSD and all the symptoms that come with it onset in about 2007 and eight, because it was triggered by something. Uh, and I never dealt with the, all this stuff when I got the army, the loss of friends, the survivors, guilt or anything like that. Well, when I, the stories that I went through were brought back up for me and made me relive these things in 2007 and eight, I went through the traditional pharmaceutical approach uh, and all the problems that are associated with that, that are stated risk factors, let's be blunt, on the pharmaceutical side effects, uh, I, I started to encounter and, and the negatives and the weaknesses with that approach became very apparent to me. I started to self-medicate with a lot of different hallucinogens, ketamine being one of them, and that was given to me actually by friends who are active duty military in San Diego because they are using ketamine in veteran, I mean, in active duty, highly specialized combat vets uh, as, a, as a test case, and they've been using it for some time. Uh, through that period, I started working with cannabis alone and finding that worked with me in 2012. 
in 2013, I was put 5150 in an ironic, funny story. Uh, I did not use the VA. I went to the VA because I had my insurance canceled. Remember, I worked 20 years on Wall Street, so I had money. I had private doctors. I was doing what I needed to do and dealing with it. But I go to the VA because I had no insurance, and my dad was a captain in Vietnam, and he said, well, they could do a lot of the stuff that you're paying cash for. So to satisfy him, I go down there. Well, I was honest with my doctors at the VA, which is a mistake. Uh, I just started to break, just crying a little bit in the corner because I was reliving the anxiety. I came back. They took me in the back room, took my blood, shouldn't have let them take my blood, uh, and I came positive for, for, for cannabis. And, and, and what ends up happening from there is I end up being put upstairs seeing how the veterans are being treated in the VA, seeing myself in these veterans uh, and everything I had been going through over the past five, six years, uh, seeing them being medicated and zombies and, and not dealing with that correctly. Um, that really, beyond just with Dr. Sisley, got me to get actually involved. And from Dr. Sisley, when she got fired, uh, the first time uh, and blew up. I was a vet beside her kind of with other vets interviewing, advocating. I was the vet with her on CNN week three and, uh, you know, been involved in the community. Well, after we got her funding in Colorado, uh, I was like, okay, what do I do now? Because at that point, I'm like, okay, the study's approved in finance. It's going to kick into high gear here. Now I want to do there's so much to do beyond just Dr. Sisley and research because we have access issues. And as you pointed out earlier, uh, the studies that are showing lower overdoses and lower suicides have the key determinant in of access. And where access is easier, we see a higher savings of life. And so that's how I joined the Weed for Warriors because to me, uh, it was founded actually by Kevin Richardson, a Marine, uh, who was one of the first units deployed after 9-11. And he founded the first chapter in San Jose 30 days after his suicide attempt in 2014. And from there, it's kind of just grown, and it's grown on, on kind of the following, right? We have a bunch of vets who are severe, having severe issues, and the approach that the government's taking is not only not helping in many cases, but it's being counterproductive. And in many cases, it's my belief, and I think I'm not alone to say they're making the problem in many cases worse and so through our chapter program that's our outreach to the veteran community right now we have 26 veterans very strong in california and we have chapters throughout the country we have one in uk and australia and at these chapters these vets get together with like-minded veterans in states where we can get medicine to these veterans like california we partner with uh you know industry growers and extract artists and they donate meds to these vets because in these legal structures that are coming on that they're putting in place uh, vets can't afford, to be very honest, we medicating these dispensaries. Uh, it's just too expensive because the model's set up for more of the recreational user that can be taxed at an extreme level. And so they're being stuck on the black market, which brings a whole host of other problems now. They're medicated on the black market or back to big pharma. So we've kind of found ourselves being pulled, not pushing anything, as a grassroots group that is here to help bodies. Yeah. but also advocate and tell the story of what's really going on because we're not having an honest discussion in this country. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And um, Christopher, how did you get involved? So I was in the military from 2000, late 2008 through 2012, and uh, I was injured in Afghanistan on my last deployment, which resulted in me getting medically chaptered out. Um, I was diagnosed with PTSD while I was still in the military, um, experiencing all these things. And uh, when I got out, 
I was lost. I didn't know where to go. I got out, they ACAP me, what they call give you your processing paperwork and really didn't learn anything, didn't have resources. I had no idea where I was, like I, I know I was going back to Phoenix, but I didn't know what was there. Didn't know the VA system or anything. And so as soon as I got back here, um, you know, I went through my own healing process. And for me, I knew right up front that I needed to do something about my medicine. I was on 15 pharmaceutical drugs. Oh. I was going into liver and kidney failure. And I was told that if I don't stop taking these medicines, all of them, Oxycontin, Percocet, um, Xanax, Wellbutrin, the cocktail that most vets can tell you they've had. And if you don't stop taking them, you're going to die. So you're left with, what do I do? And for me, that option was cannabis. I had some random lady and before when I was young, yeah, I smoked and it was, you know, recreational or fun. And this time I took a very medicinal approach to it. And, and I looked at it as like, how can this plant help me in these specific areas? And so I got on a cannabis regimen that worked for me. Um, through this process, I, in self-discovery and my own healing, decided, you know what, I need to do something for my veterans. I experienced in the first year I was out over seven suicides of people that I served with that decided to make that decision. And I woke up one day and I said, this is enough. I can't, I need to do something, what can I do? And so I established helpmeptsd.org. Um, and at first I started this as a, I, I, there needs to be a continual, consistent community of support for trauma survivors and their family. Um, so I, I go around and I educate people on what PTSD is. And even though, yes, I'm a vet, we account for 0.5% of the population. So the reality and the honesty of this conversation is we have 99.5% of the population that probably experiences trauma too, but why are we labeling veterans with this? And it's because we have such a high rate and such a small demographic percentage. So I developed this program and uh, we did, a, I, I have a five hour workshop that we can put on. I do, um, thankfully to companies like Harvest of Arizona um, that dedicate their time and diligence to having these programs and allowing me to operate them. We have PTSD support groups, chronic pain support groups, uh, cancer support groups, pediatric epilepsy support groups. Um, we're looking to add in uh, veteran closed group support groups, and these are all complimentary. They cost nothing. You just have to show up. Mm -hmm. My theory is that no one should have to pay for someone to care. Yeah. Okay. Now, getting into counseling psychology and trying to figure out stuff yeah that's you know it's a different bracket but I'm, I'm talking about general support general access general education of these these different mental disorders people shouldn't have to pay for and so i found a unique way to leverage these uh large companies medical marijuana industry that have an abundance of money um and you know really asking them the hard question as a company is what is it worth to your company to be a positive impact in the community and this is how you do it. And mm -hmm. oh, by the way, when you have these support groups, you can also go to the government and say, oh, well, we don't have substance abuse issues here because we have a substance abuse support group and our clients are educated on that. And if they have an issue where they feel like they do, they can go check into our support groups. We don't have an issue with patients having anxiety attacks in our store because all of our employees are trained on PTSD and how to handle someone that walks in their store that's having an anxiety attack. Yeah. Dr. Tischler, um, one of the things that I read about you is that one of the reasons you got into this is after being an ER doctor, I'm sure you've seen your fair share of overdose patients, attempted suicide, and people who are just generally addicted to a lot of these medications. So the reason that you actually got into this was because you saw that there were no adverse effects in that regard. Is that correct? 
Yeah, I mean, I think in general, I, I think that to say that there are no adverse effects is is magical thinking. Um, the reality here is that cannabis needs to be respected like every other medicine mm. and uh, has pros and cons like every other medicine. Granted, there are certain medications that are more dangerous uh, by large you know, by a large amount. Um, and I think that we need to think carefully about when we use any of these substances. Uh, and that includes cannabis. But uh, if you ask me, uh, for example, for chronic pain, whether um, I would rather see somebody start with cannabis or an opiate, the question, uh, the answer to that is very clearly cannabis. I mean, I think that we've got great studies at this point that show that they're sort of equally uh, effective, which is to say neither is super effective. But then again, the cannabis is so much safer that that really seems like a no brainer to me. I did also want to go back to something that you said in the intro, if you don't mind, which uh, which was something about VA policy. Uh, the VA policy has evolved over time, and at this point, there is no prohibition um, against uh, veterans using state legal medical cannabis, uh, and patients uh, are not a will not or should not lose their VA benefits. Now, what we know is that across the country, the application of that process or policy is a little bit spotty, um, so that what's going on in Arizona may be very different from what's going on here in the Northeast. Um, but at least the VA policies, uh, while they do not allow doctors in the VA to recommend cannabis, uh, you certainly can discuss this with them and get referrals out. Uh, at least that's the theory of the policy. Yeah, thank you for clarifying that for me because um, what I had heard recently is that there is sort of a hard line here at the Phoenix VA and um, there, there have been instances where certain uh, people have been uh, denied treatment for other injuries when they are using cannabis. And I'm not, I'm not completely up to date on whether any changes have been made since I've heard those things, but maybe you know. Um, go ahead. Well, and I, I just want to speak a minute. This, this is exactly what's happening in Phoenix, okay? We've got national attention on this. I mean, look at John Burke, who's a, a social media guru. He was just out here a couple weeks ago bringing attention to the Phoenix VA and the issues that we're having here. Mm -hmm. And see, the thing is, is yes, the policy's in place to where, okay, we're going to say cannabis is okay. We're not going to endorse it. We're not going to promote it. But they have so many unique ways to aggravate you and to make life miserable in a living hell. And one of the ways they do that is say, okay, we're not going to say that we're not going to say, you know, we're not documenting on here that, you know, anything like this or whatnot, but you know what, you are, you're abusing a substance. And so we're going to buy We're going to document on your file that you're abusing substance. And then we're going to evaluate that in, in three, three months when we can see you again, maybe if we have time, mm -hmm. maybe six months. Um, oh, and only talk about one issue when you're here, not two. We'll only focus on one. And then, and then what happens is, okay, well, in three months they see a new person and the new person sees substance abuse. Well, now I'm going to do a psychological evaluation and maybe I just find that I, I think that you're not emotionally and mentally stable because you're using a um, non-FDA approved medicinal option. And because you're not mentally stable, I'm going to qualify, I'm going to classify you as uh, mentally unstable and I'm going to, um, I'm not going to take your benefits away, but I am going to alleviate you of all financial obligation because you're not mentally stable enough to do your own finances. I'm going to administer a fiduciary to you and now someone will come and tell you how to, how much money to spend, where, and make sure all your bills are paid and literally treat you like an inept child 
because you're using a plant. So there's a lot of different ways that even though yes, policies in place, these are this is something that actually happened to someone here in yeah, Phoenix. Yeah, and those are those are some of the things that I had okay. heard too, and it's very disturbing to hear these things because, you know, certainly there are problems with some of the opiates and all of that. Go ahead, Sean. Dr. Tischler and Chris are, are absolutely correct. Just to define a little bit further what um, on what Dr. Tischler said, and then Chris, one the policy is. If you're using cannabis, as Chris noted, you're an addict. And if you are an addict, where it does affect you and they do pull things is pain meds. So if you're in pain management, for example, we had a helicopter pilot from Vietnam who had crashed multiple times, severe back issues, been in pain management for decades in their pain management clinics and however they handled it, but evolved into these pain management clinics. He came down with stage four colon cancer. He lived in Colorado. He used cannabis to, for his appetite and to sleep on cancer, he goes into the VA, he tests positive for cannabis. You can do that, but now they yanked his pain meds from his pain management. So you have a stage that's not, pain. That's so not okay, there's, there's some, not only morally, but, but within the VA policy, that action is actionable, right? The, the VA's policy is okay, that so is not acceptable. I hear you, Dr. Tessler. All right, so let's just, let's, yeah, let's so just take I'm a moment say, and say, look, What's going on in the field is not representative of VA policy. Now, that's a different solution from the, you know, the VA have is, has its head up that's you know where, right? So that, that's, I think, worth a discussion. Well, go ahead, Sean. Yeah, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back a little bit and say, Dr. Tister, we have a disagreement. That is actually stated VA policy right now. Now, if they're misinterpreting it in, in, in your perspective, great. I, I would love to work with you to advance it. I'm just telling you, we have veterans across this country in VAs every day. I spend eight to nine hours easily a week at the bedside of the emergency room. And the policy now is, is it can and will affect your meds. I can tell you mine, for example, just let me give you a, a minor example of this. So before I went into the VA, I used to be, you know, get ADD meds uh -huh. and those are stimulants. And now that I, if I go to the VA and ask for those ADD meds, they won't give them to me because I smoke cannabis and therefore I'm a, I have an addict issue, which addiction issue, which Chris talked about. And so, and another thing Chris talked about to get to the point is they do, for example, all my disabled veterans who are coming down hundred percent disabled. For example, I never applied for disability, but finally I did. And they put me in a hundred plus percent. I'm a graduate of UC Berkeley, Hoff school of business, 20 years on wall street. Okay, I managed a lot of money uh, as an activist hedge fund manager and uh, very successful. They have labeled me financially incompetent. I had to watch someone walk into my house and tell my wife and I and ask us how we're spending the money. Now, they fully admitted it was bullshit, but this is what they're doing, and it is so evasive that it's beyond counterproductive. Vets are not being honest with the VA. Vets are not accessing the VA because they do not want the VA in their life. And so, and Dr. Tish is right, what they're doing is immoral, regardless of whether it's, it, it's on the books or not. But in terms of, of, of what's going on, the system, the system is corrupt, and that's the biggest problem. It, it is, and I and I also want to touch on something though. Like th this is one thing that I I don't deny. The VA, as much problems as it has, yes, 
we also have to acknowledge the benefits and the good things that they do do because there is a lot of good stuff that comes out of there. It's just mm -hmm. we're, we're trying to weed out the bad apples and it takes people like Steve Cooper to go to court in front of the federal government and win of them doing negligence. Right. And it takes people like Sean Kiernan going and saying here and what we're doing and bringing light to these things and say, no, let's look at them. Let's talk to them. Let's take it a step further because the VA is an entity. That's the federal government. And I, I'm a big advocate. And I say, let's let's look at real solutions. Well, how do we fix the VA system in Phoenix? Well, now I need to go hold my city council responsible for holding the fed, the, the state government responsible. Mm -hmm. And now it looks more of like an, an uphill battle because now I got to go meet with politicians and say, no, this is unacceptable. And if you're not willing to do something about it, then I'm going to run a very, very strong campaign to get you out of office because you're not doing stuff to take care of our veterans. You're not doing stuff to take care of the general public and their mental health. Yeah. Like I said, this is, yes, it's a veteran issue, but this is an issue for all people. Trauma is experienced by most people in their lives at some point. And trauma is not just war on a battlefield. It's a car accident, childbirth, it's domestic violence, sexual assault, child abuse. It could be breaking your arm on a playground. Mm -hmm. And the conception that the news and media feeds down us is, no, PTSD is 2 o'clock in the morning and a veteran running naked through his street shooting guns off. Drunk. You know? And that's, it's, that's not the reality of yeah. what it is. Well, that just all boils down to the yeah. stigma, too, which is very, very tough to break. I mean, considering that the, the negative stigma has been ingrained in our collective psyche for more than 80 years. But um, Dr. Tischler, I'm sure um, you know Dr. Sue Sisley and Absolutely. some of the issues that she's had. I mean, one of the things that I found completely unacceptable was uh, the fact that the VA, among other institutions, have really been fighting her tooth and nail on conducting these studies. And I, I mean, it just seems unconscionable. You know, the federal law is in place because they say we don't have enough evidence to prove that cannabis works. But yeah, that's yet, bullshit, by the way. Yeah, well, you hear... It's what they, it is what they say. It just, I mean, it it's is, willful ignorance on their part. It is willful ignorance. You're absolutely right about that. But to have science pushed back, you know, have these studies being barred by certain institutions, it just seems completely unconscionable. And as a physician, I mean, what would you say to them... First of all, what has happened with Sue's study is absolutely unconscionable. The politics of science are at the moment so out of whack, having nothing to do specifically with cannabis, um, that you know when you're privy to the sort of inner workings of what does and doesn't get funded in the United States, that's mind-blowing and unconscionable. Now you add in the fact that we're trying to talk about a uh, Schedule One. Uh, botanical, um, which is a, a multi-agent, meaning multiple chemicals interacting, boy, you, you're really way out on the limb. Um, and then you couple that with the real reason why cannabis is illegal, which is about controlling people, right? Uh, whether it was undermining the hippies back in the 60s or, or, um, or going after black activist groups throughout that time period, the, the reality here is that the problem with trying to counter this with science is that it was never about the science, right? And so you're fighting you know, fire with some with the wrong agent here. I mean, the analogy just breaks down immediately. But you know, the point is that we have had enough evidence 
to contradict the Schedule One classification since the middle 80s, and we've even had case law where the DEA judge, there's a judge that oversees things like um, their conduct and their, their search warrants and stuff like that. And so there's a case in the late 80s where the judge said, yeah, you're right, this doesn't fit Schedule One. And you know what happened as a result of that was a big fat nothing. Yeah. Um, you know, and now as of this year, we've got the National uh, Academy of Science, Engineering, and Medicine coming out with a large review. This is a governmental body saying there is incontrovertible evidence in certain areas relating to pain control and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, there are other areas where it's it's suggestive and maybe a little bit more gray, like the PTSD area. But the bottom line is that all you really need is one area, and suddenly it does not fit in Schedule 1. If you right. get it off Schedule 1 to any other schedule or no schedule, then suddenly the floodgates are open for doing the kind of research that Sue and others want to do. And and that gets that snowball rolling down the hill. And of course, there are people who don't want to see that happen. Yeah, well, the hypocrisy in the law has been documented, you know, since 1937 when the AMA completely objected to the tax stamp, you know. I, I want to comment uh, again on um, the doctor's comments and saying, you know, it's, it's beyond control, though. It's not just about control. Maybe at one point it was about control, but it, what if I told you that three months ago I was kicked out of a political event because I asked a question to some politicians group of how much funding they get from pharmaceutical companies? And so I think the bigger question, it's not about control. It's that one, cannabis threats the idealization of treating instead of curing, and cannabis is curing things. It's stopping, it's alleviating, it's, mm -hmm. it's doing that. I've seen it. I don't care what research says, I've seen a seizure stop in its tracks from someone applying CBD cannabis oil to the bottom of their foot. Right. I've seen it. I've seen people get off opiate. I'm one of them. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a voice of my own um, success with, with mm -hmm. cannabis. I've got off 15 pharmaceutical drugs. That complete, I don't take pills. I haven't taken a pill in the last four years of my life. Um, but it, 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 it comes down to cannabis threatens the ability of politicians to stay in office. Because, because of campaign they, finance. They, because of campaign finance. Right. And I'm saying that right now with the pharmaceutical companies, very prevalent in Arizona, the last year when we had the, the bill on the ballot to pass, even though it was horribly written in my opinion, we had a pharmaceutical company go and fund a ridiculous amount of like hundreds of thousands of dollars mm, into 500,000 to you know, be exact. Okay, so $500,000 into a campaign that they maybe used $5,000 of for this this small campaign that damaged it that much mm -hmm. and now they just have a $500,000 fund for the next however long to chump away at for the no campaign. Right. Yep, absolutely. On the Chris, flip side point. that the CEO is now Chris. in jail, but you know, your point is well me, taken. Me, meanwhile in Phoenix, Doug Ducey's staff is getting a 20% raise in, in, in other things. So I just, I also want to throw that out there. Like I'm, I'm tired of it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> even with the hemp bill, um, Dr. Tischler, I'm not sure if you're aware that the Arizona legislature assembly, which rarely agrees on anything, it's usually <laughs> divided by partisan lines. They all came mm -hmm. together and like more than 90% of them voted in favor of legalizing hemp in this state where you can you can create crops that'll make CBD extracts and building materials and oil and plastic and everything else. And after passing with overwhelming bipartisan support, the governor actually vetoed it. <laughs> like, how, why? You know, because of the threat to campaign finance is my opinion, but I really truly believe that that is the case. I gotta say, I lived in Arizona for a month many, many years ago. I absolutely adore the state, but I gotta say that your government 
it gives me the willies at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not that the federal government doesn't give me the willies at the moment. You know, I mean, there's a lot of willies <laughs> to be had. Oh, I, I live here, and, it, and, and it, times are changing. Yeah. And Sean, what were you going to say? No, no. I mean, I think Dr. Tischler was, you know, it's funny. I, I spent a lot of time on the road, and we spent a lot of time with the old uh, hippie, you know, pro cannabis 70s and 80s. I think they echoed what, what Dr. Tischler said, which was the originating, uh, you know, force behind uh, prohibition or at least the war on drugs. Uh, and what was interesting, I think Chris is dead on it. And it, I think it goes beyond my Wall Street background. It goes beyond uh, just finance campaign, finance reform. But to give you an example, the largest contributor on the, on the uh, in D.C. last year was Big Pharma at 293 million mm-hmm. in campaign donations. The gun lobby was 10 million. So just put that in perspective. Yeah, well, and private thing, prisons and, and as what, well. The problem is, well, and that's the problem. So it goes beyond. The problem is prohibition has created economies that employ a lot of people, that pay a lot of people, and there are a lot of profits to a lot of powerful people and fill a lot of budgets in government and police forces with asset forfeiture. So oh, yeah. now it's dislodging, forget about the control aspect, control about the mechanism by which we lobby our government. You have an embedded economy or economies, whether it's private prison or prohibition or it's the addiction industry, because a big part of the addiction industry is, you know, teens addicted to marijuana because mom and dad find marijuana. They send these 30 day, you know, Malibu horizons uh, Not in Malibu where they get trouble with the law and you got to go, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, mandated treatment. Exactly. And so the problem is it goes beyond comp- the problem with campaign finance reform. It prohibits our voice being heard, right? The, the government is in bed with private corporate America, whether it's the prisons, pharma, or whatever, and quasi-public-private. They're our police state, and that's what we're up against. So it goes a little bit beyond, but they're both right, and I think the economies is actually what we're fighting against because they're paying the politicians more than any other in- uh, and, and it's true, and this is this is what I think that you know the other addition. It's like uh, other people that I've talked to. It's like even these politicians. It's like I'm not mad at you. I'm not angry. I'm not upset. I'm not even gonna be. I'm not gonna yell at you. I just want to sit down and have an honest conversation to see where your frontal lobe of decision making is at. Because look at the research. Like you can't deny evidence now. Right. It's past well, that. They so can. they, they, they can and they do. And 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 what I've been pushing for is like, look, okay, there's a responsible, educated way to go about this and we're just trying to learn from other states that are doing it um unfortunately with uh, sean and i were talking earlier and there's a bill right now in california that's going to take it like 10 years step back mm-hmm. compared to all the work they've done if you look at other places that are experimenting with different things everyone's doing it a little bit differently and i'm not saying there's a wrong and right way but there is a responsible way to go about introducing cannabis medically or recreationally into society. And I think at this point in time, we really need to look at how do we do this responsibly and how do we do this to make it safe for the general public to have access to this. That's really a great way of saying it. I, 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 you know, there's definitely the responsibility aspect of it, I think is very important. And, you know, as a physician, um, you know, I obviously have some feelings about recreational legalization um, that is pro that in general. Uh, and I think that most of my feelings then revolve around their safety and the advertising and stuff like that. But obviously, when I'm thinking sort of about the things that matter the most to me, it's really revolving around my patients. And it's very much a different group of people with different group of needs. 
And I want us to evolve our society in such a way that we can have cannabis available as a medicine for patients who need it as a medicine side by side with recreational use and and not have to get into recreational legalization with this sort of um, unfortunate Trojan horse model that ultimately, while it establishes medical first, then undermines the validity of medical in the process of bringing in recreational, because that ultimately harms the patients who need this stuff in a way that's very different from those people who need it or want it on a recreational basis. Now that's, I see there's, there's going to be a shift happening when it comes to this responsibility fact, and there's a very big reason why I do work with Harvest out here, Harvest of Arizona. And when I look at dispensaries, and you know, right now if we're in we're in a medical state, so here it's medical only. I'm gonna say that there's some dispensaries in Arizona that really don't educate their patients and don't care about it, and they go to the demographic of just hopefully you get this, and here you go, push product, push product, push product. Harvest, on the other hand, and this is where this is where I make a standpoint. I was like, yes, okay, I can say cannabis is safer than alcohol recreationally, hands down. I can say that. I'll I'll, I'll buy it. Nobody will argue with you. Know, however, when it comes to a medical sense, like the doctor has said, we need to take this responsible and treat it just like every other medicine. And I pose the question of like, if you went to your doctor and got a prescription, you're, you're, and, and I'm gonna say you're gonna treat something like, let's say we'll keep it in counseling and psychology. If you go get a prescription from your psychologist, are you just gonna get the prescription and walk out and be like, all right, I guess I'll see you in six months? No. You're going to go back and meet them at next week and the week after right. and the week after. So what I'm looking at is like, in my opinion, the responsible way to do this is not is treating this as this is a supplemental medicine that mm-hmm. you can add to a regimen or a medical process. And you still need to have integrated doctors. And we need to find the doctors that are OK with this, much like the one that's in this interview today, who are willing to see patients be OK with cannabis and give them that, you know, guidance along the way. Um, from every aspect, as far as your general practitioner, doctor, as to the counselor, coach, psychologist, we need to be able to sit there and be like, okay, well, yeah, I, I can work with you and use that. Yeah, and you see, that's one of the one of the biggest problems I think for especially new patients, um, because doctors are prohibited from actually quote unquote uh, prescribing cannabis, and so many um, medical doctors are actually very uneducated when it comes to the endocannabinoid system or really understanding. Uh, what it is in terms of terpenes or cannabinoids or um, different aspects of the plant that someone needs to treat a certain illness, patients often have to walk into a dispensary and kind of rely on the knowledge of of the technicians who are working behind the counter to sell product. And, and so that's it's just not frustrating. Right. It's, it yeah. is not right. You're right. So, you know, what we have here in, in reality is a bunch of people behind the counter who are not only there to sell product, but really haven't got the educational background to give the kind of advice that they are giving. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, from, from the dispensary owner's point of view there, that's a setup for liability. Um, the reality here is that physicians are in the position where they understand the context of the treatment and they do actually more and more understand the endocannabinoid system, but they don't necessarily have the time, bandwidth, or um, or frankly the background to give the kind of in-depth advice that we would expect them to give on sort of any 
other kind of medication and we've got to change that and that's something that you know my patients get a very focused experience that is very tailored to them and at the end of the experience they go home with something that is written that looks an awful lot like a prescription even though you know legally it does isn't binding in that way and then they follow up with me very closely to monitor their care and to see what adjustments might need to be made. Um, but the big problem I'm finding is that then they go to the dispensary and the dispensary tells them a lot of hooey that confuses them and upsells them and all that sort of stuff. And then we get patients who are confused, get sick, um, you know, don't know what to do, et cetera. And there's a lot of damage control. And I think that ultimately we got to get to the point where, you know, there's there's real knowledge being dispensed uh, from the appropriate practitioners and good in good patient care at the dispensary, much like we would expect from a pharmacy. Right, exactly, exactly. And ultimately, I think that, you know, once once we can start to chip away at the federal prohibition, you know, and open up the research so that doctors have that science to rely on that's U.S. sanctioned scientific study, because obviously it's very difficult to get studies done here in the U.S. because of all the strict regulations. But I think that that's going to start to open things up. I hope anyway. And I know that there's some legislation pending, um, such as the Carers Act. And um, there's also a Veterans Access Act, which um, mm -hmm. I believe was being introduced by Ruben Galejo, who's a congressman from here in Arizona. Anyway, I think that this legislation is really going to help, and it's also going to help doctors are not aware of the benefits of cannabis to really start opening their minds and encouraging them to go and learn about it, get CME credits for it. There are courses out there that people can take. And, you know, and again, I think that the dispensary technicians while a lot of them are being trained now because people started seeing the problem when when medical became uh, more and more popular but you know there still is that that problem but you know something i wanted to mention was that all of the prevention of let me rephrase that all of the reasons that that cannabis is still federally illegal whether it's the corruption or economic reasons or campaign finance or the, the stigma and fear around it, all of those things are in the shadows right now. And it's really up to all of us to make a concerted effort to shine a light on it because when you flood a shadow with light, it's no longer there. And so mm. getting out there and speaking up publicly, telling all of your friends um, attending rallies like the one that we will have here in Phoenix, mm -hmm. you know, encouraging doctors to learn about it if your doctor doesn't know, talking to doctors at the VA when you're there if, to sort of object to the policy with them because the more, the more everyone learns about it, the less the federal government and the VA will be able to hide behind these, these arcane policies that are, that are actually costing lives. So... Right, and that's. I mean, they're, they're, and they're, I like to focus on the the good that we're doing. You mm -hmm. know? And there is a lot of people out there that are doing great things oh, and yeah. are trying to push us forward, like Sean, myself, 
um, this doctor and, and many other people sue all of her research. And we need to start what I call is a call to action to say, hey, look, let's look past the business, the mundane day to day. How are we operating? Let's find the people that we um, are all in a niche market of the same goal. And mm -hmm. let's really start coming together and, and unifying as a network and a full body of um, advocates that are that are going to make a stand and have our rallies, you know, get to the point where we do have 10,000 people show up to them. And now it mm -hmm. is a big thing and now it is covered because it is a an issue. And now there's a lot of people behind right. it. Right. And educate, yeah. educate, educate. <laughs> you know, um, just on the subject of the doctor side of things, since that's what I know, um, you know, there's this national organization called the Society of Cannabis Clinicians. Uh, and I'm involved on the East Coast, sort of trying to bring this uh, forward. And this is a lot of what we're what we're doing is what you guys are talking about, right? We are getting the doctors who know something about this together, and we're getting the doctors who know a little bit and want to know more and get them together, and then reach out to the doctors who don't know much about this, but and probably will never do this. As a, as a part of their medical career, but rather will say, look, I know enough that I know that you, Mr. Patient or Ms. Patient, would benefit from this, so let me send you to the specialist. And I think right. that that's really going to be the model going forward uh, because there's just too much to know and too much time involved in educating people about this. I mean, I spend an hour with every new patient and if you remember, a primary care doctor has maybe 10 to 15 minutes to cover everything, not just cannabis, uh, and is already kind of barely keeping their nose above the waterline. So I think that, you know, you're right. We have to bring these groups together, get the word out, get people educated. Um, and then, as you also pointed out, cross the line to, to talk to the patients, you know, the ad patient advocates, I uh, mean, um, and, and, and bring that to bear on the politicians. Right. No, and that's can you can you uh, uh, share again, uh, Dr. Trisler, what what that what the Cannabis Society? Can you say that organization again? I want to write that down. Yes, it's the Society of Cannabis Clinicians. Yeah, I'll share I'll share all of that information with each of you after this interview, and and when the interview is actually online, I will have your bios and um, links to your websites so that you can have those amongst uh, one another. And um, yeah, this is, uh, it is so important. And um, I am really looking forward to uh, seeing what happens at this rally anyway, see if there's, there's some uh, coverage on it. I think it would be particularly important here because of the problems at the VA here in Phoenix. They're notorious for a lot of the problems that well, the entire system has uh, suffered over the last couple of years. They're notorious. Yeah, as I recall, Phoenix was in trouble for many things other than having to do with yes. any of the cannabis and opioid stuff. It seemed to remember that they got into some issues around uh, patients dying while waiting for their first appointment, and maybe they were the guys who were in trouble for registering people who were already known to be deceased. And, you know, there's some larger issues there. Yes. There is, and, and, and I will say, I, I, I will say from, from the local here, there is a solid group of people here, including Steve Cooper and many other veterans that are very, very proactive with making sure that these issues do come to light and that there is retribution 
uh, for negligence in the Phoenix VA here, and we're just seeing that uh, transpire in other states, and I encourage any veteran or non-veteran that thinks this is an issue to, to literally just do what you can. I say show up and do what you can because at the point, that's what we're all trying to do, and it doesn't matter how much. Yes, you know, Sean Kiernan has Weed for Warriors, and this is an awesome organization. I do what I do at Help Me PTSD, which is awesome, you know, and, and we can do it to this caliber, but even if it's making one phone call, even if it's just asking one vet if they're okay, even if it's just going and, and, and doing one thing, one small time, once a month is enough. And if we collectively do that all on a municipal level, we can have a grandiose effect. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Uh, Dr. Tischler, any final thoughts? Oh, I think, you know, we've had a really interesting discussion today, and I very much enjoyed being on the show with you and with the two gentlemen veterans, and, and I think we should just keep pushing forward. And I would say, you know, gentlemen, I would love to c continue the conversation with you off the air of um, and, and get our various groups together to, to push forward. Yes, and I will oh. definitely share your information. And, and Sean, how about you? Any final thoughts? No, my final thought is I think Dr. Tischer said a, a something unique. I don't know if anyone caught on, and it really was never about the science. And I think that the truth is, is that what it needs to be about is I need cannabis for my life. I should have the liberty to put into my body what I want to to mm -hmm. medicate. And the pursuit of my happiness and my family ha happiness depends on it. This is the message that will sink into the hearts of the conservative groups. It truly is about liberty. It's truly about self-determination. It's truly about getting away from the captive regulated market called our FDA and, and our pharma and give me free choice. And me as an American and my vets who fought for that freedom deserve it. Yeah, that's, that's so important, Sean. And that's, and that's where I say is like it's a it's hard as veterans, even him. And I know he's experienced the same thing. It's like, you know, coming back and fighting for this Constitution, what we believe in overseas and in whatever wars we're at and then having to come back. And it's like, yo, our constitutional rights as American citizens are threatened right now. And we need to wake up and start addressing these issues like we're doing today and bringing attention to them and, and calling them out as they are. Yeah. And and for those of us who aren't veterans, um, it really is uh, up to us to raise our voices as well and join this fight um, to support the rights of veterans who have, you know, sacrificed a lot to defend ours. So it's up to all of us. And um, speaking of which, and if you're in Arizona on Veterans Day, I really encourage you to join us at the Veterans Rights Rally. It takes place in downtown Phoenix on the northwest corner of 3rd Street and Indian School, which is Steel Indian Park. It's actually across from the VA. There will be speakers, including Sean Kiernan, who's on the air with us right now, and Dr. Sue Sisley, who is leading the PTSD study at the moment. Um, there will be uh, veterans groups and general public volunteers on hand to hand out resources. And then we'll do a march to the VA to hopefully raise our voices and make some noise and get some attention from them because they need to start listening to all of us, I believe. So I, I did want to share one more thing, especially for Sean and, and Dr. Trishley here. Um, I work with a True Rest uh, float spa, the de self deprivation tanks. And mm. I just found out recently, I, uh, one, I have some um, free ones to give away on this show, two free floats to whoever um, those go to that either call in at some point or you can give them away how you want to on the air um, in a future show. Um, but in general, on the 11th of every month, 
at True Rest Spa, and this is nationwide, their whole company brand-wide, on the 11th of every month, veterans can float for free up to two times in a fiscal year. Wow. Okay. And they, and they, they stepped up as a company, True Rest Float Spa, which is, uh, this is outstanding, that they, they're able to complimentary gift uh, a two free floats a year on the 11th. All you have to do is call and schedule that. And that's every location, whether you're in California, New York, Arizona, it doesn't matter. Okay, great. Well, I will also put that up on our website. And there was one other thing that I wanted to mention. And that is if you or someone you know is a veteran in crisis or having suicidal thoughts, uh, regardless of whatever reason, we urge you to contact the Veterans Crisis Line at 800-273-2755. 800-273-2755. This line is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And um, we also urge you to reach out to someone and talk with someone. And uh, with that, I'm getting the signal that it is time for us to wrap it up. So. Thank you again to all of you, um, Dr. Jordan Tischler, Sean Kiernan, and Chris Lingle, for sharing insights and knowledge with us today. If you'd like to learn more about the work they're doing, please visit us online at thecannabisreporter.com. Click podcast to find today's episode. I will post their bios along with information and links to their websites, as well as information about the float tanks and other resources. I'll also post information about the Veterans Day rally. And again, that information will be at thecannabisreporter.com. We have a lot of people to thank. First, I'd like to express our gratitude for our radio sponsors, Hemp Meds and Health Terra. We could not be doing this without you. I'd also like to thank Eric Goodall, the composer of our theme song, Evergreen, our producer, Ed and the team here at Star Worldwide Networks for making us shine. To our program director, Steve, at XRQK Radio Network and Compassionate Certification Centers for sharing our show. And last but not least, thank you to all of you for listening around the nation. I'm Snowden Bishop, inviting you to join us again next week, same time, same place, for another episode of the Cannabis Recorder Radio Show. Until we meet again... Be safe, get involved, stay informed, share what you've learned, and make it a great day. Evergreen is calling, evergreen is always where I Are you getting enough CBD each day? Hemp Meds carries the most trusted CBD oil brands like Real Scientific Hemp Oil and Dixie Botanicals to make it easy to add cannabinoids like CBD to your diet. We hold all our hemp oil products to our rigorous triple lab tested standard to ensure that you and your family receive only the highest quality and most reliable CBD products. Hemp Meds is your trusted source for CBD. Visit HempMeds.com to get our premium CBD oil today. Use discount code CBD20 to get 20% off your first order. 
you're busy running around from work to kids to evening events. Healthcare shouldn't be adding to your daily running around. Simplify your healthcare with Helterra for only $15 per month per individual or $18 per month per family with up to nine kids. By the way, you can eliminate doctor office visits with 24/7 access to doctors via phone, video, or the mobile app. Not only do you get prescriptions filled over the phone, but save up to 85% on those prescriptions. This is a supplemental plan and not insurance. Healthcare made easy. Helterra.com. Too many veterans' lives are lost to suicide and opiate overdose when conventional treatment fails to help them cope with the physical and emotional scars. Veterans shouldn't have to fight for their rights after sacrificing their lives to protect ours. Join us for the first Veterans' Rights Rally on Veterans Day and support the rights of our veterans to choose alternative treatments for pain and PTSD. Starting at noon at Steel Indian Park, 3rd Street and Indian School, hear speakers, veteran resources, and a march to the VA. Visit thecannabisreporter.com for details. 